Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Today, we're continuing on in our Bizarro series, which is a series through the book of John, uh, taking a look at sort of the strange and bizarre uh, life that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, today, we're going to lean into a story. Uh, some things, I think, are a little bit like too big for facts or for just like, you know, basic sort of simple direct truths. And that's why they uh, need to be framed in a story, right? So think about like the, the best story that you know. Uh, maybe it's like your favorite book. Maybe it's your favorite movie, something like that. When you try and like talk about what that actually means to you or why it's important, you can never just like boil it down to a sentence, right? Like you can't just be like, oh, well, I really, really love this thing because, you know, it's as simple as this, right? Like, uh, the things that truly transform you, the stories that really transform you are far, far too large for uh, simple, basic, sentence-sized truths. And it's kind of interesting because uh, a lot of times when I'm up here doing this thing or even when you, like, watch a TED Talk or something like that uh, and someone's just sort of, like, handing you little pieces of truth, you have the option... Uh, to just sort of take it or reject it. It's a little bit like uh, shopping for avocados in the grocery store where you're like looking and you're like, well, maybe this is the one for me. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's going to you know, stay in my p- pantry so long and never get ripe so that I forget about it. Or maybe it's going to be spoiled by the time I get home. Those are basically the two options you have with avocados. I don't know that you can ever just buy a perfect one, but like you're looking at the truth and you're like, well, maybe I'll take it. Maybe it's good for my life. Maybe I can do something with this. And then you make that decision and then you just sort of move about your life, right? With a story, you have to do something else. And with a true story, particularly, you have to sort of like recognize that this is something that happened. And in some ways, then you are called upon to respond to it. So today we're going to take a look at Peter's life. Uh, and this story actually is like a, a sort of climax to Peter's life, maybe even like the heart of his spiritual journey uh, that we see today, or at least a, a huge sort of inflection point. On the surface, basically what's happening is uh, Peter is lurking around at the sh- in the shadows. Uh, he's sort of hanging out by the fire, kind of standing back, while Jesus is getting questioned. Now remember, if you recall last week, uh, Peter had just chopped off some dude's ear, so he's probably still feeling a little weird about that. Uh, the uh, guards came to get Jesus. They're taking him to like a trial, and so Jesus is standing trial kind of over here, and Peter is kind of hiding out over here by a fire. And while that's happening, he has some very strange conversations with people. And like I said, on the surface, basically all that happens is uh, people ask, hey, Peter, do you know Jesus? And he flat out denies it three times in a row. But there's a little bit more to this story. We're going to start all the way back at the beginning of Peter's story, uh, which actually we hear about in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, or verse 18. It says, uh, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Now that he there is referring to Jesus. Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two, older bro- two other brothers, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. 
Now, this is the very first time that we see Peter in the Bible. And basically, he's out fishing. He's doing his work. He's doing his job. He's chasing after his career. Some random dude comes walking up and says, hey, throw down your nets and follow me. But we know this wasn't just any random guy. This was Jesus, and he's calling Peter uh, to come and follow him. So for the next three years... Now, really, uh, it's easy to get lost in, like, Bible details, right? Uh, It's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Uh, this guy did this weird thing, and he had a funny name. No, like, for three years, after leaving a profession, he'd probably been working towards his entire life of being a fisherman. For three years, Peter follows Jesus around. And we get a lot of, like, interesting stories about Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the first of the disciples to actually recognize that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, Peter was always sort of popping up in stories, like, almost like he elected himself or they elected him as, like, the, the speaker for the disciples. So Jesus would ask everybody a question, and Peter would be the first one to answer, which was a risky move, right? Uh, sometimes it was a good thing for him. Uh, sometimes Jesus yelled right back in his face, and it was bad news, right? Peter was kind of this, like, classic, you know, uh, speak before you think kind of guy. Uh, seems like he had like really good intentions. Uh, Peter also like stepped out of the uh, boat when he saw Jesus walking on the water. So Jesus comes walking by them on the water and Peter is the only one who's like, you know what? God, if you call me, I can do this too. Now it didn't exactly work out for him uh, immediately, right? He starts sinking after he uh, starts losing his focus. Uh, but that tells us a lot about who Peter is, right? He is the guy that's like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. I'm in. And then he runs into it and nine times out of 10 says something stupid, but it doesn't really stop him at all from still trying, from still engaging, from still like uh, trying to be a good follower of Jesus, What's really cool about this, too, is that I feel like uh, story allows us to be able to, to see ourselves into the lives of people. And I feel like if you've lived any amount of time, then you can see yourself a little bit into the life of Peter, right? Like if you've ever said something stupid, if you've ever been that person that has asked the wrong person if they're pregnant, if you've ever been the person that has brought up that wrong detail that you both admitted never to bring up again when you're in the middle of a fight, uh, if you're that person that sometimes just sort of uh, speaks before they think, then I feel like you can empathize a little bit with who Peter is. He sort of embodies that uh, for the disciples. He feels almost like he's like the the patron saint of good intentions, right? Like going out there and just being like, hey, this is what I really want to do. I think it's going to be good. I think Jesus is going to like it. And uh, very often finding out that that's not the case. That's exactly what happened last week when he saw, uh, when we saw that Peter chopped off the guy's ear, uh, that Jesus turns and looks at him and says, hey, uh, I know that you were thinking you were doing the best thing possible, but actually it was the worst. And then heals the guy's ear back, and that brings us right up to this moment. And I love the little detail there that John puts in. So he plays out the three different times that Peter denies him, and then immediately he says, uh, the rooster crows, which was fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus actually had about uh, this very event. Uh, <clears throat> so in John chapter, 30, or chapter 13, uh, verse 33, it says this, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterward. And this is another classic example. Peter's overexcited here. He says, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is a mere uh, a few hours before the event that we're reading about today. This is not like, you know, some sort of like long-term prophecy, like he meets Peter and he's like, you'll end up denying me. No, it's like later on this day, you will deny me. And in fact, uh, the rooster crowing means maybe it was like becoming morning time. So this was like the nightly meal at the last supper. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you will deny me right after Peter's like, I'll follow you even into death. I will lay down my life to you. And then a few short hours later, Peter is standing in front of people that aren't even accusing him, people that don't even really have the power to put him to death. A, a servant girl is asking him, who, you know, stature-wise in ancient Israel, he would have been like way above, he could have told her whatever he wanted, and still, he goes from, Jesus, I'll lay down my life to you, or for you, to not even pretending to know him, to, to saying, I don't really know that Jesus guy, uh, I'm just hanging out by the fire. It's interesting to know, too, we have a lot of stories about Peter. We don't really have uh, a lot of stories of the sort of relationship that he actually shared with Jesus. This is another one of those details that's pretty easy to gloss over. But for three years, he's hanging out with Jesus and a group of 12 other guys. They're basically like homeless, right? They're traveling all around uh, the ancient Near East. They're just uh, sometimes probably sleeping outside, sometimes uh, crashing on people's couches, whatever that really looked like. We don't have any of the stories of the time that, you know, Philip caught his robe on fire or they couldn't find anywhere. They had to stay in a barn. And so they were all ribbing Jesus like, oh, this feels like home, right? You want to sleep in the manger? Something like that. We don't have any of those stories to tell us, but like, I think it's safe to assume that when you spend this much time with people, especially someone who can love you better than any other human being can possibly love you, that they're going to be, there's going to be a relationship developed there. So now, reframe this entire thing. This isn't just, uh, you know, Peter deciding whether or not he wants to out himself as a Christian. This isn't Peter deciding whether or not he wants to, uh, you know, be a part of this religion or, or even fall prey to the assumptions that someone else has about him following Jesus. This is Peter actually turning his back on a friend turning his back on someone that he called master, someone that he called father, someone that he had chosen to follow with his entire life. Can you imagine what that felt like? Especially the moment that the third one comes out of your mouth, right? Like Jesus tells you at one point, he's like, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times, and you're thinking to yourself, you're Peter, you're like, wow, this is never going to happen. I don't, Jesus has told the truth before, but I don't know why he's talking about this. This is not going to happen. Then Jesus preaches. Uh, there's like a, a long series of chapters, but he preaches. He teaches them a bunch of stuff right before he goes. Then they're standing in the garden. They're praying. Somebody walks up. Uh, they're trying to take away your friend Jesus, and you're not having any of it, so you like chop off their ear. You're ready to start the war, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. That's not the plan. And then you sort of get shuffled along in this moment. Somebody comes up to you and they said, hey, do you know Jesus? And you quickly calculate in your mind, well, I'm not sure if I want to say that. That could get in some trouble. This could be pretty awkward. Uh, no, 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 I don't know that guy. Uh, a little bit later, somebody else comes up to you. Hey, hey, you're one of those Jesus guys. No, 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 that's not, that's not me. That's not me. You must be, have me confused. Finally, a third person comes up and says, hey, uh, do you know this Jesus? No, no, I don't. This is, that's not me. And then the rooster crows in that moment. Can you imagine the sort of pain and sorrow that Peter would have had to feel in that moment? Knowing that he had betrayed the one person that he had promised not to. 
knowing that this same person that he had decided to chase after with his entire life, he had just turned his back on for almost no gain. Just a little bit of social capital. Maybe he can sort of like assuage some of his own fears that, you know, what's happening to Jesus is going to happen to him. John uh, does some really cool storytelling here, which is why I so, so much love the book of John. He actually doesn't just tell us that Peter denied Jesus three times. He splits it in the middle of another story. So while Peter is busy denying Jesus, Jesus is busy sticking to the truth. He says this, or uh, John writes this in chapter 19. I'm sorry, in verse 19. Uh, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. Notice the parallel here. Peter is lying about knowing Jesus. Jesus is telling nothing but the truth. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that, not, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus, in speaking the truth, is actually the exact opposite of Peter. In fact, uh, John actually snuck this little story about Jesus talking to the high priest in between the denials of Peter just to show you how profound the difference is. Jesus is heading towards his death. He is speaking uh, to a man who is in authority, who has the ability to send him on that will uh, eventually take him to the cross. He's a part of this whole journey now from which he can't turn back. And in the face of that, and even in the face of actual physical pain, getting slapped in the face, Jesus continues to tell the truth. And he says, I can't say anything other than the truth. I have always spoke openly. I've always told the truth. Meanwhile, Peter is telling lies, denying the truth to people who have no impact over his life, to people who aren't really in control. Jesus is getting smacked in the face and facing impending death, and Peter is facing a little bit of social discomfort, a little bit of awkwardness. But luckily, this is not where Peter's story ends. Jesus gets crucified, and uh, after that, Peter and he have a conversation, which is not a a sentence that you very often say, right? Like, this guy died, and then he and Peter had another conversation, but that's exactly what happened. So Jesus dies, uh, raises from the dead, he comes back, and he has this sort of final uh, climactic conversation that sort of closes out his relationship with Peter. And this is captured in the book of John, too, so giving you a little bit of teaser. We're going to come back to this in probably a month and a half, I think. Uh, Yeah, so anyway... John chapter 21, verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Notice the symmetry there. 
So there you have three times that Peter denies uh, when Jesus resurrects from the dead. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's interesting, too, uh, Peter sort of recognizes at the end, he's getting a little frustrated. He's like, Jesus, you actually know. You know what's inside my heart. You know how I actually feel. You know how I feel even better than I can probably understand and process myself. Yet still, you continue to ask. To me, this feels a little bit uh, like my grandmother. She always used to ask me, like I'd go over to her house and, you know, we would just eat and, you know, play and do whatever we wanted. And it was amazing. She would spend like days and days in preparation for us to come over just cooking junk, you know, like making all this different stuff. And as I'm like leaving or maybe even midway through the trip, she'd always say something like, hey, you don't like coconut pie, do you? And I'm like, yes, grandmother, I love coconut pie. You don't understand. She would like make me defend it, right? She tur- put me on sort of like the back of my heels to be like, I love coconut pie. I need to tell you more about it. She'd always like frame it in this weird little question. They're like, do you love coconut pie? Now, uh, my grandmother was just a, a self-praise-seeking old lady, right? Like super sweet, but her motivations were solely for her own. But what actually happened with that is I realized that I had become like an ambassador for coconut pie, that I really did love it. Now, there's no way of knowing. Now it ranks among like, you know, top desserts of all time for me. Uh, I've tried to have my mom replicate the recipe and it doesn't quite work out. Sarah came pretty close on Valentine's Day, which is awesome, but still, you know, not quite there. But uh, now I have become like this apologist for coconut pie. And I think it's like risen in the ranks of desserts because I was in this place where I had to defend it. Now think about this for a moment. Peter actually recognizes that Jesus knows how Peter feels, right? And Jesus would know that Peter would know that Jesus knows how he feels, right? I'm getting it right, all right? So uh, that could go on forever. Everybody knows what they're thinking right here. So why would Jesus be asking Peter this? Now remember, it's three separate questions, three separate times. Not just a few days prior, Peter was standing around the fire denying that he even knew Jesus. And now Jesus is sitting right in front of him. Peter knows how he actually feels in spite of uh, the lies that he had told before. Jesus knows how he actually feels. And so Jesus asks him to remind him. Peter, you have betrayed me before. You've turned your back on me before. You have done me wrong. You've told lies before. But we both know you love me. In your heart, you know that you love me. And it's interesting here, the sort of like transition. There's, there's no way of knowing what would have happened to Peter had they not had this conversation, right? Like we can't like pull out this, you know, magic hypothetical situation and just say if they hadn't had this conversation, Peter would have just gone back to fishing and we've never seen him again. But we do know what does end up happening after this relationship is, is Peter becomes like the first father of the church. In fact, uh, you know, they refer to him as like the, the first pope kind of thing. Like he, he starts out as like the central figure, the leader of uh, all of Christianity. And then what ends up happening, as if we needed further evidence that Peter does actually love Jesus, John gives us like a, a, a prophecy here from Jesus. He says, Jesus says in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's interesting. uh, 
We don't really have any other biblical record of how Peter dies, but there is a lot of church history that surrounds it. Um, it's kind of interesting when you talk about stuff like this because uh, if you've ever visited like Europe or any sort of, or you know, I guess Italy, uh, Greece, maybe even the Holy Land, there's sort of all these weird Christian sites where we as Christians have like, you know, maybe tweaked some of the actual historicity of events to make sure that they are, uh, you know, a cool place to go and visit and maybe get a little tourism money. Like I remember uh, we saw what was supposedly a like two inch fragment of Mary. Mary's, you know, whatever this weird bone is in your uh, wrist. Now, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure why or how someone was supposed to have come by that, uh, but I paid $3 to go in a church basement and see it, so I guess, like, that was the end goal. Uh, actually, in the Vatican right now, uh, you can go down into the basement and supposedly stand right next to Peter's bones. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but what I do know is that uh, from as early as the year 96, so that's not too far after, like, 30 AD that we're, like, reading this, and John's gospel is actually written one of the later ones, so it's probably not too far separate from this. Uh, Clement of Rome actually wrote uh, that Peter was crucified. Later on, Eusebius would also write uh, that Peter was crucified, but not just crucified uh, like normal, the way that normal people do. No, as church tradition goes, Peter was actually crucified upside down. And in actually carrying his own cross and walking to it, he tells his captors, I do not, I do not count myself worthy enough to be murdered, to be killed in the same manner of my Lord. And so in so doing, he asks them to, to flip the cross upside down so that he might die uh, in a way that was lesser than the way that Jesus actually died. So he wouldn't be able to have the honor that he considered it to be able to die in the same way that Jesus died. This is the same truth-denying Peter that we see in our story today. The same Peter that could make the uh, embarrassing mistake that can make the painful relational mistake of lying about his relationship with Jesus. This is the same Peter who almost threw every single thing that he had been building over the past three years, his entire relationship, uh, his even like his religion, his following after Jesus. He's throwing it all out the window for nothing, just out of, out of fear, out of like concern for himself, after out of selfishness. He is willing to throw all of that away. Then he watches his savior, his master, his friend die on the cross. They have this next conversation. And from then on, Peter's life has changed to the point where he is not only willing to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus, but he's willing to walk to his own death in light of it. The entirety of the gospel is found in Peter's life. He lived it out. He, before all of this, was uh, a person who was always uh, jumping up to assert his own opinions. He was a person who was always sort of like, you know, trying to prove himself, trying to show how important, how good he is. He's even trying to sort of like do the right thing and just sort of make life happen on his own will, right? Like he's trying to, uh, to do what is best and, and be a good person for whatever that means to him. And constantly is just running into challenges with that. Constantly saying the wrong thing, constantly doing the wrong thing. Uh, even here, moments before Jesus' death, uh, the person who's been following him for three years, Peter, who would one day be the father of the church, is chopping off people's ears and denying Jesus in front of others. But what's cool about the gospel is that Peter 
is not even the one who fixes his own mistake. He's not even the one uh, who steps up and has to sort of like reconcile all of this. Jesus didn't even show up on the shoreline and walk up to Peter and be like, hey, why are you lying about me? Why are you denying me? No, instead, Jesus sets him on the right path. Jesus picks him up, and because of the forgiveness and mercy that he showed, that he gave for us on the cross, he's able to look at Peter and say, do you love me? Not for, Pe- or not for Jesus' sake, but for Peter's sake, that his, so that he actually knows that he does love Jesus. Jesus is able to turn his life around. Jesus is able to, to refocus him, to, to shift his life, to transform him from the man that he used to be to the man who is now engaged in his mission. Because Jesus doesn't just say, do you love me, and just leaves it at that. No, he gives Peter a mission. He says, feed my sheep. And Peter would go on to feed the sheep. He would go on to be the leader of the entire flock of Jesus and the leader of all of the people of God living at that time. Peter was put in control over uh, serving them, over leading them, over guiding them. This is the story of the gospel. That our story doesn't end with our stupid mistakes. Our story doesn't end with any of our selfishness. Our story doesn't end with us trying to hide or deny who we are. Our story doesn't end with us trying to, to sort of shy away from Jesus when it's inconvenient for us. No, Jesus steps into that story and transforms it in a way that we can't do for ourselves. It's amazing, too, that he did that for Peter now thousands of years ago, and he's been doing it in the lives of people throughout all of history, of followers of Jesus for thousands and thousands of years. Now, that very exact same thing. Jesus is the one who takes what we bring to the table, which is selfishness, which is falsehood, which is uh, brokenness, which is sin against ourselves, against God, against others. Jesus takes all that that we bring together, and he looks at us, and he doesn't throw us away the way, the way that we're ready to throw him away. He doesn't uh, reject us the way that we have rejected him, but instead he changes the story. He changes the ending. He changes the outcome so that we might do what we were always meant to do, what we as human beings were always built to do, that we might love Jesus and join him in his ongoing mission. That's the story that he's written into my life, and it's the story that I hope that he's written into each and every one of yours. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you just for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, God. God, we thank you that you are kind even when we are not kind to you. God, that you stand behind us when we don't deserve it, when we deny you. God, we thank you that you give yourself for us, God, when we are not willing to give anything for you. God, we thank you that you are the one that makes a way when we can find no way ourselves. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard, 
Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.